0: Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Big DK Energy Podcast. My name is Danny Kaye, or the DK of the Big DK Energy. And uh, folks, I just want to say, 2023 is already looking like it's going to be a fantastic year, and I just want to tell you, I'm hyped. And speaking of hype, today's guest is the CEO and founder of the challenge-based social media app, Hypespace. And two other accolades of this really awesome guest is he is an instructor at UCLA in business for management, and he was also the executive producer for films such as The Meg, Meg 2, The Trench, and Cowboys and Aliens. We're in for a treat, so enough of me rambling. Let's welcome today's guest, Mr. Randy Greenberg.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, DK. I appreciate it.
0: Of course, thanks for uh, joining the show.
1: It's great to be here. Let's see where today goes.
0: Absolutely. Um, where are you exactly right now?
1: I'm in Los Angeles.
0: Nice. Actually, in a little
1: area, little area called Mar Vista in between Culver City and Marina Del Rey. It's a smaller area.
0: Got it. Actually, I had another guest who I was uh remote communicating with uh from LA as well. Another member of the tribe. Well, also There's the fa- a few of them. So, uh, yeah, I was looking at your uh, LinkedIn page, and I, I must say, you have quite a storied resume.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Well, I've been on the planet for a certain number of years, so uh, I should have at least a decent story to tell for the number of years I've been here. I've been very fortunate. I've been very fortunate.
0: Well, I don't know about fortunate. It looks like these are some pretty big positions, and people who have the aptitude for them usually get them. So what does that say about you?
1: Well... It says that I could get the position, but I think if you look at if you look a little deeper at the resume, it says that I also couldn't necessarily keep them. I was good at the job, so we're we're talking about um, big studio jobs. I was good at getting the job, um, and I could keep the job for for a bit. But I'm just not a political animal. I'm, I'm not one of those people that can do all the things that need to be done to stay in a position because the people above you need to be reminded of how wonderful they are at all times. And I'm not that guy.
0: Well, at least you keep it 100. <laughs> or is that what the kids say nowadays? They keep it 100. I don't know.
1: Is that is that what it talks about being authentic, right? And, and yeah,
0: exactly. Oh, and speaking of authentic and kids' lingo of keeping it 100, usually those two elements are prominent in the world of social media, which you know something about.
1: I know a little bit about it. We started this company, um, Hypespace, not quite a year ago or so, in, in building out this challenge app hype space with two y's h-y-y-p-e and all drawn out of the idea that you know social media you know, we were just talking about the wild wild west so, i mean social media is the wild wild west i mean there are no curbs there are no way to keep the bad actors and the trolls and the nasty people that just want to say and do things that to somehow make themselves feel better i whatever it is but in turn they're making everybody else miserable and there just aren't those curbs and guardrails up yet and I think that the generation that's grown up with this will force our representatives to try to enact some guardrails so that the wild, wild west nasty nature of social media doesn't continue. Or at least we uh, have a sheriff. But, you know, that would be a good start, right? Um, So we kind of looked around and looked at the landscape of social media and looked at there are these challenges that exist in TikTok and Instagram and such. And the only connective nature of the challenge is the hashtag, whatever the name of the challenge is, challenge, right? So it doesn't exist in one place. You have to find, you have to be able to follow all the various people that are part of the hashtag, who actually tag it as hashtag, whatever the challenge is. And there's no, if you participate in the challenge, like how well did you do? Did you do it right? Did you do a good job? Was it fun? And if there is a challenge, how do you measure against other people that were part of the challenge? Or how do you connect as a as a group as part of the challenge? And many challenges like really kind of lend themselves to a prizing nature, right? If you if you do really well, or if you can do really well in the challenge, like shouldn't you be getting a prize? Like sh- should you get rewarded for doing the challenge? And we kind of looked around at all that and we thought, hey, this challenge thing keeps kind of growing every month. And the number the number of brands that want to use a hashtag something challenge to create some sort of program on in social media. And we looked at it and thought, well, there's probably a good way to connect a brand to a consumer or an influencer to a follower or a charity to a donor in an authentic way in a challenge atmosphere where we could collectively make it a safe place for everybody and make it fun and put some prizing in and put some voting in and so out of that grew hype space where the challenge is on a single page and there's an explainer video of what the challenge is then you as a creator you can create your own challenge invite your own friends and family to join or make it open to the public Uh, that anybody can join it we have some creator tools and we're making a lot more creator tools right now so that you can create an entry to a challenge and then you as an entrant uh, or a challenger can share it out through your social media and get your friends and family to come and vote for you and our voting is clapping so the person within the time period that challenge runs that has the most claps wins and brands can offer their own prizing We also offer as part of the platform, you have an availability to utilize. We have a built-in API that is a gift card, an electronic gift card opportunity. So you can pick a $50 gift card for the number one place. Number two gets 25, number three gets 10, like you can do all that. But anybody can make a challenge. And that is individuals, a brand can run a challenge, an influencer can uh, bring their followers and a charity can bring their donors and influencers and charities can run what we call pay to play challenges where an influencer and 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 we think with the downturn in in advertising as part of the recession because advertising dollars are the first dollars to get cut out of a budget and the marketing department is the first uh, department that gets cut in a budget uh, for anybody, for any company, that some influencers, they're going to need a, a place where they can make some money or supplement their income because they won't be making as much as they made previously or it's a place where you can make some and but it's really about connecting authentically with your followers and you as an influencer create the challenge your followers um you tell the followers what the entrance fee is to the challenge five dollars two dollars a dollar ten dollars whatever it is might be and the influencer gets um 35 to 45 percent of the gross amount that comes in apple and google take their fee we put 20 percent aside for prizing we keep a a 15% ourselves to run it. And then the rest of it goes to the influencer. So it's a way for influencers to make money. And then for charities, we do the exact same thing. Charity can run a challenge to raise money for the charity uh, and they get 54% of the gross. Mm. Uh, We take a smaller cut and we put, uh, we only set aside 10% for prizes. So the more people that enter, the greater the- the, um, uh, The pot? The prizes are. Um, but it's a way for charities and influencers to actually make money. For brands, it's a way for brands to be able to connect to their most fervent fans who really want to be connected to the brand and where the challenge can be an offshoot of of an already existing marketing program that they do on a regular basis or they can create a whole new program. But the brand can connect directly to the consumer and they don't need an influencer. They don't need anybody in between them. And as a platform, we just keep it safe. Everything is monitored 100%. So nothing is shown. Nobody sees anything until a human being watches it and confirms that it meets the community standards that we have readily available on our website that you can take a look at. We just want to keep it so that everybody can have fun and nobody has to worry. And the only responses are the clapping. And we have one other thing, which is that the number of claps creates the leaderboard so the more claps you get the higher up on the leaderboard you get and you as a challenger can post that out to your fans and fans and friends to get them to come back and vote you can vote every day or you can vote uh with more votes we call them thunderous applause which you can buy as an in-app purchase and then lastly we instituted something really cool in the last couple of weeks which is that if you see an entry to a challenge that you really like you can create a video response. If you see something in social media right now that you really like, you can't respond to it any other way than a textual, some sort of that's really cool. But what we've instituted is we have a video response that you, if it, it, DK, if you see a, an entry that you think is so cool on one of our challenges, you can record a response that goes up to that entry and you can say, hey, you're, I can do it, right? You you put an entry into like our avatar review challenge and you do a video review that's really cool and I think it's really cool. I can then record a re, uh, a response that says, hey, DK, that's really awesome. I hadn't even thought of that and I can't believe that you saw it in 3D, that, you know, whatever it might be. But I can put that up there and that video response, again, is also monitored to make sure that anything that goes up is meets our community standards. But it's a new way to interact with the people in the community that are on the app. But we just thought challenges needed to be given a better platform than the current platform that they have on in social media. The challenges that are on Instagram and, and mostly TikTok, they're bad dares. and
0: Seems like uh, unsafe yeah. sometimes.
1: Yeah. And, and we didn't want that. And, and we want to restore kind of the, the luster, if you will, to what really could be a great challenge.
0: Oh, man. Uh, well, first of all, I just want to say that was a fantastic spiel about your app. When I hear challenges, it brings me back to like the earlier era of social media. You know, there was the Ice Bucket Challenge, and then there was the Mannequin yeah. Challenge, and then recently there's the Yams Challenge, which is a bunch of artists, you know, see- seeing which one can sing Yams the best. But, um, you know, right. I really love the fact that you're trying to create such a positive community because as someone who was diagnosed with ASD when they were younger, a.k.a. me, I don't know why I said that, that weird, but I one time remember seeing... <laughs> But um, I remember for the ice bucket challenge, there was this one autistic kid in like Ohio who was saying, "I'm doing the ice bucket challenge," but like his classmates apparently poured on him what was a mixture of like vomit, urine, yeah. and other total stuff.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, and that's 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 part of what we're trying to get away from. And you know, and that wasn't ALS's fault, right? Yeah, that was just kind of because of the structure and they weren't on a platform um, that kind of happened. So that wouldn't happen on our platform. Like that, that video would be rejected. But the interesting part of that, you bring up ALS is definitely one of the reasons that, that we started Hypespace, which is the idea that ALS, like, so this is, by the way, this is almost eight and a half years ago now. Already? In world, summer of 14. And they raised, and they raised the most money they'd ever raised, $220 million. But only one in 10 actually donated So they had a lot of people that participated, right? But didn't donate. So we were looking at, hey, that's really great to participate, but if you're not donating- What's the point? On our platform, everybody that participates in a charity challenge would be required to donate. And the donation, we're not talking about, you know, you gotta pay a thousand dollars or a hundred dollars. The donation amount will be set by the charity. So it's gonna be relatively low to make an entry point so that the more people that donate, the better off it is. But yeah, I mean, I'm sorry for that individual. And I hope that that didn't, you know, stay with them as long as, I, as it could. But yeah, I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff we're hoping to combat and do away with by by having the hype space platform.
0: Wow, that's awesome. And like I said, I'm just really glad that you're trying to add, you know, an air positivity. Because besides that one bad example, social media gets kind of a bad rap for being toxic, which I can totally see how it is. But it seems like yours is something... Challenge based. I have literally never heard of that. So that's something that I believe gives you the edge over certain other social media apps. Like, for example, do you remember Yik Yak? Or, or I
1: can't the name, but I don't, I, I can't, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what it was.
0: It was like, I don't know if it was Yik Yak or it was something Yak. And it was, an, it was an anonymous posting board where people would just post random stuff. And based on, you know, whether people liked it or not, you only saw the number. You didn't see who did it. And um, nice. there were some pretty bad entries because, you know, it's anonymous and with a nominated. That word always gives me a tongue twister (laughs) anonymity
1: anonymity.
0: There we go. But um, yeah, without having to see your name, that happens.
1: Listen, people do strange things right behind that wall of showing of showing themselves. Just human human nature can be really, really strange and odd sometimes. And I'm I'm not opposed to stopping anybody from doing that. I just think that as an entity, if you're going to create something and, and you want people to be a part of it, you need to take care of your community. And the best way I know to take care of the community that we're that we're creating with Hypespace is to keep them safe. And I don't want to use the word safe to make it like it's bland, right, or that it's boring. But it's just that I don't want anybody to get onto it and have to worry that there's some knucklehead and, you know, somewhere in the country that is having a bad day and decides to take it out on them. I don't want that. I don't want that for them. So I would rather, I would rather create a community where there are some guardrails and and there's some safety to it. But also I think that, you know, brands need to protect themselves. You know, brands spend years and years and years getting to a point where they become a brand, right? Companies spend years and years and years developing this logo and this, this emotional connection to the product. And then it can be done away with like that with a bad influencer, or something that happens in social media and every single brand rides that rail, if you will, every day on TikTok or Instagram. Like every day, something could happen where they can be derailed at any moment. And thankfully it doesn't happen every day, but it happens. And all these brands are wind up doing damage control and they want like, you know, and then they pull back and they stop doing it for a while. And then they figure that they can't live without it. So they have to go back. That I just think I'm trying to do my part in creating a, a a space that would be better for my kids. Should I be fortunate enough to have grandkids, my grandkids, and do something that would be fun. Hopefully this kinda hits with, you know, enough people to make it a you know viable growing um business
0: i hope so as well but um you already kind of got me on well one i downloaded the app a couple days ago but two uh, of course i i gotta support my guests but then besides that one of the things that i noticed on the app or when i was doing research for the app is the fact that a character from one of my favorite tv shows is one of your influencers who's that And that is Michaela... Michaela Murphy. Michaela Jill Murphy. That's right. I was a huge, or technically I still am, a huge Avatar Last Airbender fan. And so when I saw Toph Beifong on on your platform, I'm thinking, oh man, I really want to see what this is about. She is
1: so cool. And we are
0: so thrilled
1: to have her. And the fact that she's vocal about, about being on the platform is really cool. She's probably run three or four challenges with us. And her audience, her followers seem to be Very happy to be part of the platform, but she's awesome and she's got a very vocal, very active fan base and they've come onto our platform and made it a lot of fun and and we're thrilled to have her. I wish we had a hundred, you know, a thousand of of Michaela's and we will,
0: we will. Exactly. Um, You know, it's just in the future. But um, right. instead of looking to the future, let me ask you about your past. Well, you know, let me just say this. How did you sure. first get into social media? How did I first
1: get into that? That's an interesting, interesting question. I mean, obviously, I'm, I, you know, I, I've got a smartphone like everybody else. I was one of the first 200,000 people that actually had a BlackBerry way back when. <laughs> oh, and, my God. And one of, the first, one of the first people that had the BlackBerry with a phone um, uh, connected <laughs> to it rather than two different devices. I've always been a kind of a techie. I, I like tech. I had a car phone very early on. I had one of the first international phones. I was in the first dot-com bubble way back when, in the late 90s. I worked at a video platform in San Francisco that was an entertainment video platform. Well, well like when Wi-Fi was just starting. I mean, back when literally when Verizon and and the forerunners were installing Wi-Fi wiring. Was right, this back when the- AT&T
0: was a uh, singular?
1: I'm not, I don't know if AT&T, I don't know. They weren't singular then at the time. They they weren't AT&T. They were still, they were already split apart because that was the eighties. But I've kind of always been at the cutting edge of some tech of some sort, whether using it on a personal basis or within business. We started using um, PDF when PDF first started in the entertainment business, where we would send emails with PDFs, which, you know, which was almost unheard of at the time. Now it's old school. So I've kind of always been like that. And I've had my, you know, I I started on Facebook in 2005 when it first started, you know, I started on LinkedIn, I think within six months that they were there. So I've always been kind of in that. So, when I was presented with this opportunity from an old fraternity brother friend of mine um, who connected me with an investor, I kind of thought it would be it'd be really cool. And I've been in entertainment for three plus decades and I've done a lot, I've seen a lot. I, I, I know the business side of it. And when hashing out this kind of business, it just sounded like it would be a lot of fun and something new and I'd never built an app before. I didn't even know how they were built, but when I started Delving into it, it's very similar to animation and, hmm. and how animation is made. It's very similar.
0: Hmm, okay. I've always found animation to be quite fascinating. It's kind of interesting how you make that comparison. I'll make it.
1: Here good In animation, you got to start with a script. I mean, every filmed entertainment piece starts with a script, right? Even non-scripted or reality TV is, is as scripted as you can get. And so and it's none of that stuff happens by chance. It's all the producers make it happen. Mm -hmm. But in real scripted film or television, it starts with a script. And that script is the architectural blueprints, if you will, of how everything gets made. Mm -hmm. And the app, at least in, you know, again, in my small time being part of the app world, it starts with literally a written script. What does every user of this app do? Hmm. Specifically, they start here, they go here, they do this, they could do this, they could do this, they go here. There's a script of the movement of every user and who is every user from somebody who's just, a, I love this term, a lurker, right? <laughs> Which I didn't know and sounds just lurid, so we call yeah. them, we don't even call our uh, people that use our app users. We call them members um, okay. because everybody likes to join something and be part of something. So that that always seems better to me is to be a member, not a user. Mm -hmm. And um, there are people that just watch, right? That don't really interact, but they'll watch stuff. Then there are people that will create. There will be people that will interact there. And then there is the admin. So it's who is every user of the app? And what does every person that goes through the app do? That's the script. And from that, just like in animation, you start with sketches. Like, what does every scene look like? What's the background look like? What does the character look like? You start with sketches and you refine it, and you refine it, and you refine it. What do the pages look like? What should they feel like? How should they move from page to page? What should, I'm so sorry. What should the setup of that page do? What should be the next page? How deep should it go? All of those things. And that gets refined as you start building pages. and you start building movements and, and you start looking at the iconic visual of the page which is again, is almost exactly the same as animation. You start building the iconic visual of the background. Where is it that this character is? What does this character look like all the way around in three dimensional? And it gets refined as you get to the very end. And because animation doesn't look like what you see at the end until the very end.
0: Oh, not even close.
1: Everything gets reiterated and fixed and visually more interesting and more perfected as you get closer to the end. and at least again, in, in my small time of being in the app world, that's exactly what happens kind of with the app. And you can make iterative changes as you go along, as you see the visual, and as the words from the page start to come alive, you start to get a better reference and a, a better movement. Again, that's what happens in animation. So that's why I compare it, and and I may be completely off base for other people, but for me, it it makes sense. and. And while I have loved animation from the time I was a kid, and I'm a member of the the motion picture academy, which so cool. votes on the Oscars, and I've been part of the animation nomination committee for 20 years because I love watching animated movies. But I made my first animated anything, which was a TV series called A Tale Dark and Grim. I got to learn much more in much more detail about the making of animation. And for me, there's a big complimentary set of tools um, uh, from animation to building an app. So it didn't feel too far out of my, out of the norm, but it's been a great, it's been great.
0: Oh, awesome. As an animation fan and as someone who's taken digital media classes about learning about how animation has been, you know, I can really appreciate where you're coming from, which, not which, but um, sorry if you heard a bunch of typing. I have the free version of Zoom, so it was about to, you know, cut off in 10 minutes. So I just bought a plan. So now we're good to go for the rest of the episode. So... Um, that's what I was typing, but, um, the way that you are describing how, when you're designing an app and you're drawing it out, it reminds me of, in one of my digital media classes, we were doing wireframing for a website and, you know, I kind of see the similarity between that and, you know, apps and, um, animation, but, uh, wow. So you've been involved with movies for a while now.
1: When I was six, I remember sitting in front of the television, watching and staying up late and I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. So like in the middle of the country. And I always wanted to be in the, the in the entertainment business. That's what I wanted to do. And I remember watching the Oscars, thinking one day I want to be a member of, of that of the the people that vote for the Oscars. And you know, I, I've been very fortunate to not only to make a living and to come out to LA, and make a living in in the business and be a part of a lot of different projects uh, over the last 30 plus years. But I've, I've I've been fortunate to become a member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences and be a voting member of, of the Oscars. And it's pretty gratifying and I'm thrilled to be able to do it. It also ensures that I watch all the movies, not that anybody needs to pull my arm or, or twist my arm to make me watch movies because I, I love watching movies.
0: In the words of our people, Mazel tov. Thank you. Of course. And um, so you would describe yourself as a cinephile?
1: I'm a cinephile, but I like the lowbrow. <laughs>
0: What do you mean? As you
1: can tell from the movies that I make, like I like the lowbrow, make me laugh. You know, show me creatures, the undead. Like I want to go to the movies and have a good time, and and those are the movies I want to make.
0: That's awesome. And the fact that you know you're living out your dream, just the fact that you spoke into existence. When you're six, I want to vote on that. And next thing you know, I've been doing it for 20 years. What else?
1: Well, okay, what was the next thing? It was a long time between. Yeah. Six and well, right, you know what I mean. I was right. just being right.
0: I was just being, what is it? Nice, gratuitous, if you
1: will. (laughs) You were trying to truncate that time period. I get it. No, that's all right.
0: Exactly. So you were talking about films that you've worked on. I see the Meg poster right there. So executive producers, that's like one of the highest positions in the film world, or I could be wrong.
1: The highest highest position in the film world depends on who you're talking to, right? The writer will say it's the writer, right? The director will say it's a director. The producer will say it's a producer. The head of marketing will say it's the head of marketing, right? Everybody has their own opinion. So I have a hard time focusing on one thing at a time. So working on a bunch of projects at once is is really good. And when you're a producer, when you're a producer, you have to focus really hard for a longer period of time on a single project. And that doesn't really work for me. And I'm not the person you want to ask about story structure or how characters should talk to each other or changes in dialogue or you know, changes in emotional relationship, like that's not me, but you want to talk about how do we make money off of it? Where should we shoot it? How do we save money? The business part of it, what the marketing and distribution should be of it, product placement, licensing and merchandising, all that kind of stuff. I'm all over it. Like I can, like, that's me. That's an executive producer. And that really works for me. So the, pro- I, I would argue that while I thank you that, well, it, it, it may not be one of the highest the producer, as far as I'm concerned, is the highest standard of, of the movie. Um, but an executive producer stands behind the producer, running the business side, whether that's the financing, the distribution, or the market, or, or or marketing, or or all the components of that. And and I really like that. And that's really where I come from. While I started in accounting at Warner Brothers as an intern, I became a publicist and then a marketer and then a, a distributor in acquisitions head of marketing and distribution, head of international. I ran a talent agency and I do business affairs. So I've done a lot of things. Uh, I like the business side of the business rather than the onset creating side, yeah. which to be perfectly frank is like watching paint dry sometimes because you'll shoot a couple of pages a day, which is two or a you know, couple of minutes of every day for a movie. It's just too slow for me because you got to shoot various angles of it, you gotta turn around and do it from another side. If someone you says one lighten-
0: line gotta- if someone says one la- line of dialogue wrong, then you gotta shoot the read yeah, you gotta reshoot it
1: and all that's really great. Like the people that do that are amazing and they have the concentration level and they have an ability to like slow down and just focus on that moment. And my brain either is working way too much too fast or I should probably slow down and not have as much coffee. <laughs> but it, 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 but I can't do that. I can be on set for a few days at a time and I could go back and forth between set and, and an office, but to sit there and watch take after take and movement of camera and angle, like there are people that are better equipped for that. I'm I'm on the business side, which is also why I teach the business of entertainment at UCLA Extension. Because I, t- I can teach that. But I appreciate that. Executive producing the Meg is, has been fun.
0: Oh, I, I bet. I'm sure you got to meet the cast of the Meg. Or, you know, when they weren't doing their scenes. So, how's Jason Statham?
1: Well, I mean, how is he? I mean, he's exactly what you would expect him to be. Yeah.
0: So, he's really yeah, gruff he's, and rough around the edges. He can be gruff.
1: He can be funny. He can be lovely. He can be snarky. He's exactly what you would expect him to be. And he's exactly that. Jonas Taylor we needed. He can be really fun to hang out with.
0: Like, does he do any cool bar tricks or something like that?
1: (laughs) He's very funny. Okay. Let's just put it out. Very funny.
0: All right, we're just going to leave it at that. I'm not going to go into it any further. So, when you were a kid, I know that you wanted that you were thinking, "I want to vote on these movies." But did you ever think that you were going to be a producer?
1: Well, I kind of—I mean, that's really what I wanted to be was a producer, but I shied away from it. I came out to L.A. and I did interviews when I was when I was after I graduated college, and I was sitting in a waiting room of an agency, and the waiting room was full. It was CAA, and I looked around and and, and I was dressed in this kind of. I think they called it a Madras shirt. I had a tie on, no jacket, slacks, khakis or something. I mean, I had just enough money to dress kind of okay, right? But I, I, you know, a suit and a tie, like I didn't, I didn't have that. And yet, there were all these other people that had suits and ties. And I came to learn many of them were like Ivy League grads who had graduated, gone to law school, got a law degree, practiced law for a little bit, and then decided to come out to LA and make no money and become agents utilizing that. And it threw me off a bit. And I thought, well, but I went to mar- I went to school for a marketing degree. So why don't I go into marketing? And I started in publicity and I really loved it. And I got thrown in international, which I didn't know anything about. I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. I, I never traveled outside the States. I didn't know another language. Now I was learning all about the world through distributing movies and what audiences outside the world were looking for and what those publications and TV shows, how they interviewed stars and what who they were willing to interview and and the type of movies and TV shows I liked and I was kind of getting an education through it and it was really great and and I loved it and then I got to tra- I got to start traveling the world it was great and learning international has made me a better producer how so in, in the long run how so because I'm able to judge I, I think I'm able to judge material better as to what works on a worldwide basis, cause you can't just pick anything. Look, when I started in international in, in 1989, right? So that dates me 34 years ago. That international was worth 30% of the worldwide gross. North America, or mostly the United States, was worth 70%. So the U.S. was everything. Nobody really cared about international. Just go off and do it and it's kind of found money. So we could do whatever we wanted to a certain extent, as long as we stayed within the, the rules. We could do what we wanted. And as long as we made money and didn't lose money, it was not a problem. So I got to learn a lot. And and that was really great. And learning what that audience and those audiences all around the world were interested in what they were looking for and what they responded to, I was able to judge material better. And now it's the flip side. The international or everything outside of North America or mostly the United States is 70% of the revenue and North America or mostly United States is worth 30%. Really? So now Hmm. no international you have a far better understanding of what's going to financially work. And it's all about money, right? I tell my students this at UCLA in my very first class in the very first 10 minutes of every class, it's all about money in the entertainment business. And if you forget that, just remember this one thing, it's all about money. And so if you can pick material that can make money and you know how to make it at the right budget level and you know how to market and distribute it, then you are what the system is looking for.
0: Cream, cash rules, everything around me. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. You know, it's funny that you mentioned about like foreign media because as a half Korean, what I've noticed is that, you know, Netflix is blowing up with movies, you know, from my mom's country.
1: Listen, you know, early on when Korea used to import our movies and there were no um, US distributors, which meant that you got paid very little money for your movie and the importer, whatever the company was in Korea, made a ton of money. And that's the way it was for most of the world uh, uh... where you imported, right? So when the studios opened their first office, which was in late 1980s, like 89, like there were protests in the street and riots, and ultimately the South Korean legislature protected their own business by legislating that in a movie theater in a given year, 50% of that screen had to go to Korean movies. So you non-Korean movies, mostly U.S., could only occupy that screen for half of the year. Well- That actually turned out to be a boon because then now you have such a great South Korean film business and entertainment business. You've got great creators and great writers and great actors, whether male or female. You've got a great infrastructure and we see movies and and shows like Parasite. Or Squid Game. Yeah, or Squid Game that are really, they're being built to satisfy a local audience, but they really have an opportunity to satisfy a global audience. And it's just becoming bigger and better and badder. And that's why CJ Entertainment, you know, owns, you know, several, uh, CJ being the big um uh, the Samsung family. They own a bunch of uh production entities that make really great global content, but that starts in, you know, Korea and then goes out in the rest of the world.
0: Wow, fun fact uh for the day. So uh thank you for that, Randy.
1: Happy to happy to listen i know that you just passed your first year doing podcasts a little more than what about 15 months now and i know that you did 42 in your first year i'll come back again and again so if you need me to fill right if you want to do 52 this year and you you got a few extra slots at the end we can talk about a whole bunch of other things just to make sure you get 52 for the for your for your year two i'm happy to be here I'll give you fun facts that mean nothing to anybody else, but you and I can have a good time.
0: Oh, dude, I'm excited for it. Uh, Do you need to head out now? Is that it?
1: No, 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 I'm good.
0: Okay, just making sure, but um, we'd love to have you back, Randy. You know, whenever you want to, just please let us know. In fact, I already have plans for episode 100 being this year, so, you know, I think we are trudging along, so... Man, Randy, speaking to you, we've learned so much and we've just found out how awesome of a guy you are, but now we're about to find out even more about you in my favorite part of any big DK Energy episode, which is the bonus question round. 10 questions you do not know about, but are still appropriate enough where you will still be an exec at the end of this. So, <laughs> Okay, cool. Excellent. So with that, are you ready?
1: Yep, I'm ready. Shoot him up.
0: Excellent. All right. So question number one, you're making your ultimate challenge for social media. What does it entail and who does the challenge support?
1: Wow, that's a really good one. Um, I wish you'd have given me that ahead of time so I'd think of a really great question, a really great answer. I think the challenge would be take a picture of your, or, or take a video of the socks you're wearing right now today and tell us why you picked those socks. And the challenge would be who's got the best story about why those socks are on your feet. Because the story could be, well, they're the only thing I found, they're the only thing that's clean, or it could be it matched my shirt, right? Or it represents how I feel today, right? Or I, th- I wanted to stick out. I got a meeting later. Like, there'll be a great story there. And that it would all, in the end, favor children's pediatrics, like p- cancer, like a, a children's pediatric cancer um, charity that we raise money and hopefully help kids that, that have cancer.
0: That's a beautiful sentiment. You know, that's your own version of Tikkun Olam. And actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because I'm a huge fan of Stance, and I actually have an answer for that challenge right now. Would you like to hear it? Awesome. Yeah. I have a pair of Michael Jackson Thriller socks. So one of them is Michael Jackson. Do you have them on now? Show them to me. Uh, I don't have them on now, unfortunately. But let's see yours. So
1: so I've got kind of blue. Uh,
0: There
1: we go, right? Yeah. And I did that. Because what I really want is I, this is the shirt I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. What I really want, I want socks. Why don't men designer men, designers for men shirt socks are the only thing we have that we can accessorize with. Why don't they make socks that match your shirt?
0: <laughs> That'd right? be an Interesting combo. So as
1: close as I could get to my shirt today, but that's what I really want. I want socks that look like my shirt because then the ensemble would be complete.
0: I think you're onto something there. Now I want
1: to see see your Michael Jackson socks.
0: All right. Socks are one of my favorite things on the planet. They show my personality. So here they are.
1: Oh, man. Those are, oh, Thriller socks. Nice. Oh, yeah. That is awesome.
0: When I showed these to my coworkers, when I got them, they were both like, you deserve a handshake.
1: (laughs) My son would love those. My son, that is my son's favorite, is the socks that have some sort of something on them. And he's probably got 200 pairs of socks because it's the only thing he really ever wants, nothing else. I have a 16 year old, like, you know, so th- that's what he wants. He would love those socks. That's awesome.
0: Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, it's like, oh, I got socks for Christmas, your son. I got socks for Hanukkah.
1: Uh, totally. That's exactly right. He's so stoked.
0: <laughs> oh, man. And it's funny, too, because I actually got my dad to uh, join the sock fat a little bit. And, you know, I had to stop because eventually I didn't have enough money for the su- subscription. But it's okay because <laughs> I, I got these babies. So. Nice. Nice.
1: All right, that was question one.
0: Correct. What's question two? Question number two is, if you could live in a universe based on your favorite film or show, what would it be and what's your role?
1: Star Wars, hands down. And I'd be best friends with um, uh, Cassie and Andor.
0: Okay, nice. Done. Okay, excellent. You're part of the Star Wars family, I see.
1: Oh, sorry. Completely. (laughs) So maybe, you know what's really fun? You're gonna love this. I think my son asked me that question a week ago, which is how I knew the answer right away because we talked about it. and We talked it over and over. He's gonna love this. He he's gonna he he'll love
0: that. Oh man, that's kind of weird, but awesome at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, name a happy childhood memory of yours. Wow, there's a lot.
1: I grew up again in Omaha, Nebraska. I was what they called latchkey kids, right? Both parents worked, and I came home, and you know I had a key, and you. You'd walk in, right? Wow, there's so much. Like I remember the winters in Omaha, which could be really cold, but on a beautiful sunny day when there was snow everywhere, after making snowmen and drifts, and that was always fun. I went to the movie theater all the time in Omaha. There was one of the first, one of the first multiplexes was uh, uh, this um, AMC had built. Excuse me, a sixplex called the Six West out at the what was the West Road Shopping Center, which I'm not even sure exists today. Um, and it was one of the first multiplexes, and they showed everything. And I would go to the movie theaters for like, you know, it was like a buck and a half or a buck, whatever it was. And I saw everything that everything that I'd ever played there. I love going to the movie theaters. That was always my my fun time.
0: And now you're working in the industry. Look at that. And now I'm working in the industry.
1: Question well, number i I'm much more in the, I'm, I'm in the app world really now, but, but I still, I mean, I, Meg two is coming out in August, August 4th of this year, Meg two comes out. So I am still in the entertainment business, but I spend all of my time, almost all of my time working on Hypespace now and, and, and making a go at the challenge app.
0: Okay. But you know, you're still in entertainment. So, you know, I'm still
1: entertaining people. That's right. Exactly. exactly. You're entertaining all, right, all
0: question... of us. Question number four. Dream vacation and itinerary.
1: Oh, this is easy. And I did this once. So uh, Hawaii for a week, snorkeling, scuba diving, surfing, laying on the beach, eating, drinking, playing golf that week, and then flying back to LA and then driving up to Mammoth and spending a week in Mammoth skiing. That is my dream vacation. I've done twice. And in fact, a week ago, not quite a week ago, locally in just outside of LA, there's an area um, in San Gabriel mountains. There's a um, couple of ski resorts um, called Big Bear and Snow Summit. It's like two and two and a half hours. I've heard hours Big Bear. If, if the roads are open and we went on new year's day, it took nine hours to go a hundred miles. It was ridiculous. That's cause Southern Californians don't know how to drive in the snow or in the rain. And, and we're having these big storms at the moment. Um, and we skied a couple of days, um and came back and we were on the, the day we came back we were back by two o'clock and i was walking on the beach uh by three o'clock so i love that juxtaposition of the sand and the and the snow
0: sounds like a great one especially since it's not like you have to make a sacrifice of either or you got both right there the embarrassment of riches nothing wrong with it i hope to take a vacation like that one day
1: but i hope you do too
0: i appreciate Maybe it. We should it together sounds like a plan in our socks in our socks, that's right. I need special skiing socks for that. All right. There you go. You right. can find those. Writing it down. Anyway, number five. What are three of your favorite books that you've ever read?
1: Okay. So my number one favorite book of all time is called The Day After Tomorrow. And it's not the movie. Okay. I was say. <laughs> the Day After tomorrow was the first book written by a writer by the name of Alan Folsom. Film he was a television writer. And that was his first book that was written. And it's about a a, a Los Angeles-based doctor who's in Europe at a conference. And he gets tapped by, I think it's Interpol, if I remember. I haven't read the book in a number of years. Um, it was released in like 1993, so it's been probably almost 30 years.
0: 29. Um, <laughs> I only know that because I was born in 94 and I'm 28. There you go.
1: And um, he's in Europe at this conference, and these dead bodies start turning up without heads, and heads start turning up without dead bodies. And Interpol or some some organization like that, there's something that he knows that he's like an expert in. And so they tap him to help out. And the book is a page turner from the very first page to the very end. And you have no idea what's going on until the very last line of the book, which means don't go to the last line of the book to read the book first. And it's really great. And he was a great writer. He passed away several years ago. I think he wrote five books. I've read all of them. That was really great. So that's number one. Number two, John Grissom's second book, The Firm. I think it was the second book. And it was a page turner from beginning to end. And I have all of his books are all lined up. And um, uh, that was it. And then the third book—that's a good one. I don't know what the third book is. That's a good question. Those are my two favorites. There's a bunch more books I really like. Oh, I, I really like. It was Jimmy Buffett's. God, what is the name of the? It's the one. It's it's the fiction book he wrote.
0: I never knew he wrote a book.
1: Book. Um, wow. He, he's written several, like a pirate looks at forty, a pirate looks at fifty, but he wrote a fiction book and got it over there and I can't think of the name of it it'll come it'll come to me in a minute. Um that was really great and I've always really loved that book too. It's a fun journey around the Caribbean and where is Joe Merchant? That's it, which I thought was a lot of fun. So those are probably those are my 3.
0: Okay, I never knew Jimmy Buffett wrote books, so now I'm going to have to check that out while eating a cheeseburger in paradise. There you go. Sounds like a plan for the sand part of that vacation. So right. <laughs> number 6 You're getting dinner with three figures who have influenced you in your life that are not friends or family. Who are they, and what do you learn from each of them?
1: That's a really good question. Thank you. Okay, Okay. so I would love to have dinner with uh, Lou Wasserman, uh, who was the chairman, um, founder of uh, MCA, which became Universal Pictures. His plethora of knowledge of the entertainment business, how to deal with people, and project management, I think is extraordinary. Um, I think that would be one. I would love to sit down with the St- Steven Spielberg. I worked with him a couple of times, but I never had an opportunity to sit down with him for an extended period of time to really kind of pick his brain about how in the early days of his career, he was really able to tap into that world within ourselves that we were all looking for. That wonderment of space or that internal idea of who are we? And like, I, I still, to this day, can't figure out how he how really did that. And did it in a way that was that was entertaining and commercial. And I've never worked with George Lucas, but I would love to sit down with George Lucas and talk to George Lucas about really what was it like in those moments where he gave up part of his directing fee in order to get Star Wars made. And got those rights of licensing and merchandising. And how he really understood at that moment in time. And I've read various books and and pieces on it. But it never really talks about kind of, the, there was a nail biter. There was a moment where all of his money was pledged and everything was was pledged towards either it was going to make it big or he was going to be penniless. And it's not like it was one day he was penniless and the next day he had money. Like it was more like it, 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 it dragged out for a while. And as an entrepreneur, plus a creator and a director and somebody who was running a business and it was a startup and there was no money. And like, how did he handle that and deal with all of the pressures for dealing with all the employees, as well as ensuring that the creative stayed on track. like Again, there's all sorts of stuff out there, but I don't think anybody's really ever asked him as a business person, like, how did you go home every night and deal with that on a personal level, knowing that at any moment, something could go catastrophically wrong and you could be done? And and of course, the answer is it didn't happen that way, but as a business person, I find those moments of extraordinary tenacity to be really interesting. And I've always thought like asking it, like, what were you thinking at those moments? Because those are the moments that change someone from being unknown to being known. And there's something in there that all of us can learn from in order to stay the course, even in the moments of immense- um, Hardship? Hardship, thank you, or obstacles, yeah.
0: Wow, I actually never knew that about the Star Wars films. Just think about it. If uh, George Lucas. Lucas didn't pull through. You would have given me a different answer before.
1: I, you know, I I think about this a lot. There are those moments in time. I think about right now. Like there was a moment in time a hundred years ago, a little more, a little more than a hundred years ago, where several old white men got together and decided, oil and cars and rubber was it, and the rest of us on the planet had no choice. But to accept that this is old, but we had electric cars. There were electric cars before there were gas cars. They didn't go very far, right? But can you imagine if we had not decided that gas, the internal combustion engine was the way to go, but we decided to stick with electricity and batteries, can you imagine where we'd be today? Can you imagine how our climate would be so totally different today? Can you imagine where the power structure of the world would be today, right? Can you imagine how all of, you know, so many of the wars that have been fought over oil and the access to oil would never have been fought because oil would never have been an issue? And these are the things that I think about. And, you know, like there are those moments in time. Like, I mean, there's had Star Wars not worked, all sorts of things would be different today. We wouldn't know who George Lucas was. There wouldn't have been three. There wouldn't have been like, I mean, there are all sorts of. There are those moments in time where things went the right way and had they gone differently, things would be different. That's where um, was that man in the high castle is the alternative story of who would have won World War II had the Nazis and and Japanese prevailed. You know, what would the world look like? I mean, it could have gone that way. So I think about those things like, you know, we've gotten here because at every point, you know, the where we exist today at every point along the way got us to right here. And if any point along the way had been different, we wouldn't. You and I wouldn't be talking. Exactly. Sometimes that just blows my mind. So, uh, any event that, that was a long-winded, long-winded answer.
0: I mean, it all makes sense uh, once you get down to the root of it. It's just you know, like you said, literally anything could have gone, but things are the way they are. And uh, you know, let's not uh, put any more butterfly effect into anything worse. So. Exactly. Awesome. So, number seven, you're working with your Dreamcast on your dream movie. What's it about? And who are they? Wow. Um,
1: Wow. Okay, so I'm working with fellow producer Belle Avery, um, who I adore, who's the lead producer on The Meg. And she was the one that uh, had the rights and and ultimately got it made. I'd be working with her because there's no other producer in the world that I'd rather work with. There's so many directors I would would work with again. So picking one would be wrong um, and would put any others at bay. So I'm not going to say that. There is a project that I've always wanted to make. And I I can't even say what it is. It's a holiday project written by a an author-illustrator that I know really well. And it's a beautiful take on something we've seen hundreds of times, if not thousands of times before. I'd love to work with that author-illustrator. There's a couple of directors I could see that would be great with it. I would love to work with Ryan Reynolds. Um, as, I think a would be, as a director? As a director, I think he'd be I think he. Can, I, I think he has an amazing understanding of structure, business, how to communicate through the lens to the audience when the audience is not there when you're doing it. He's a really great businessman um, and a really great creative. On top, I mean, you see him in movies and TV shows, but the number of businesses that he owns, the number of creative businesses. He's trying to own a hockey owns, team. He owns a, a you know a football club and. And he owns a wireless company on top of a liquor company and, you know, and a creative company and a bunch of like I would I would love to work with with him. That would be outstanding. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of people. I'd love to work with James Cameron again. Again, I I worked on Terminator 2. I did international publicity on Terminator 2 and he was fantastic. He was very tough, um, but he was fantastic to work with. And I worked with Kevin Costner. The first movie I ever worked with, worked on was Field of Dreams. (laughs) And I did international publicity on Field of Dreams for the company. The company that I worked for did it. And I was the employee who was doing it. And uh, he was great to work with. I would love to work with him again. There's a lot of people. I worked on three James Bond movies with Pierce Brosnan. And I worked on The Thomas Crown Affair, which was a labor of love. And with Rene Russo. And I I worked with a lot of people that I really enjoyed working with that I would love to work with again. And singling out just a few people would be bad and really good at what she does.
0: Wow. Um, That's quite a cast you got right there. And, you know, with James Cameron and his uh, money-making ability with movies, you know, that's a good formula right there.
1: I think James Cameron will make Avatar 3, 4, and 5 and then be done.
0: Really? Because I hear there's like nine movies in the the series. By the
1: time he's done with 3, 4, and 5, he's going to be at a certain age that he may just... You know, and he doesn't need the money anymore and hasn't needed it for a while. And he's got other in he's got a he's got a plant-based protein company and several other companies that, that are based in Canada. I mean, he didn't need any of that. He certainly won't be working for me because he doesn't work for anybody. He works for James Cameron.
0: Fair. Okay. Well, you know what
1: I'd be honored to work with him again.
0: Oh yeah, I bet. But you know what? I'm glad I'm working with you. So yeah, how's how's that?
1: And I'm I'm pleased as pink to be here.
0: Man, you're awesome. Number eight, what is one of your far-fetched bucket list items?
1: I want to ski every continent in the world. Antarctica too? That one's probably going to be the hardest one, which also means it's probably not going to happen. But yes, it would be great. I think you
0: could make it happen. You just got to talk to a certain number of penguins.
1: I have to talk to a certain a certain number of people who can make that happen. That's right. But yeah, that's what I would love to do.
0: Dang. Well, I hope that happens for you. Here's today's challenge. Ski in Antarctica. Wait, what? All right, <laughs> All right fine. Exactly. All right. Exactly. You want, you the want, benefit
1: the penguins of the world. That's right.
0: I think SeaWorld will be about that. So yeah, let's make it happen. Number nine, what's your ultimate vision for HypeSpace?
1: Wow, that's a really, um, that's a that's a great question. And I've, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Listen, what I really want, I want a place where people that come there can have fun, be themselves, show what they can do, enter the challenges they want to enter, and be free of all the other crap that comes with social media. I want them to win prizes i want them to have a good time i want the the sponsors of those prizes whether that's brands influencers or charities or government organizations or parent teacher or whatever it is i want them to interact authentically with the people that are following them donating to them consumers of their of their stuff i want them to have a good time and i I want them to want to come back and i believe that we've built a platform that allows for that now it's just really getting enough people to utilize the platform to make it feel like there's a big party going on. And I think we'll get there.
0: Well, you know, since I have the app downloaded now, hopefully I can help out in some way. You know, I'm I'm actually gonna put the link to the download to download the app in the description box below. Thank hopefully, you very we'll- much.
1: That's very cool. What I'm hoping for by you know that that we have hundreds of challenges and not thousands of challenges going on at any given time, that there's a plethora of types of challenges for everybody. There's something for everybody. And that there's, you know, tens, if not hundreds of people, if not thousands of people entering all the various challenges and that it really is fun and that people like it and have a good time.
0: Well, I'm all here for it. And speaking of people having a good time, we're having such a great time. We're actually already at the last question. And it's a question that I ask everybody, but the answers always vary. And that is, what is your best, most recent accomplishment?
1: Well, there's personal and professional. You can say both. So on a personal level, this is a couple. I dated and... Found my wife Who I proposed to And she said yes Thankfully Muscle tov Thank you And we've been together For what will now be Almost 27 years Wow I think Having a 27 year Plus We've been together For almost 29 years I think that in the world that we live in today, I think that that's quite an accomplishment because most of the people I know—I mean, there are definitely people. There are definitely people around me that have had relationships, or have been married for that long, if not longer. But the majority of people have it. So working at a marriage and and making it work, I think is is quite an accomplishment. And our children that have blessed us are pretty extraordinary individuals. So I'm very pleased. I, I'm very blessed by that on a personal level, and that's meant a lot to me because my background. My parents are married for longer than that, but um, but not happily. And I, I wanted to have a, a happy marriage and I have a happy marriage. I suppose you'd have to ask my wife if she's happy, but I think she is <laughs> still here for God's sake. And she seems to like it. So uh, that's good. And, and on a professional level, I've had a lot of really great, but in terms of the recent, and I know this sounds self-serving because it's kind of why we're here, but the version of the app that you have downloaded, the version of Hypespace that you have downloaded is really the version of the app that I wanted. From the moment I thought about it, and we have there's some there's some upgrades that we're doing right now, like the the video upgrade, the video response that's on the app right now. I didn't think of that. One of my team did. Somebody on my team did. It's amazing, and I'm really really thrilled with with the app that we have. And I'm really hopeful that brands and influencers and charities and government organizations and parents and teachers and parent organizations all can see the value. Of being able to connect with their followers, audience, consumers, donors, family, what have you, and that certainly brands, certainly that charities and influencers can see the value of of using it as a different way to raise money or make money, because I think it's a I, I think it's a real opportunity out there, and all of it done in a way that nobody needs to be embarrassed or worried or concerned, and I'm really happy with that. So so I know it sounds kind of self-serving, but I am. I, I'm really pleased about that.
0: Well, it is your answer to give, so it doesn't matter what the answer is because it's yours to give.
1: You are right. I appreciate that. Thank you for reminding me.
0: Always. I appreciate that. Of course. And Randy, like I said, you're a fantastic guy to speak to, but unfortunately we are at the end of the show. I just want to say, you know, I know you're a very busy man, but I just want to say thank you so much for taking some of your time today to join the show.
1: You are way too kind. It's, it, I thank you for your time and for that 10 questions. I actually really wish I would have had them because I would have been, I probably would have better answers, but hopefully I did you justice and and I'm appreciative of the thought and the the ideas that went into to this and I enjoyed it. And, and I thank you very much. We, we should do it again. Of course. Maybe I should interview you next time and give you 10 questions.
0: Listen, we can totally make that happen. Just <laughs> let me know. I'll have you on LinkedIn. But um, Randy, for coming on to the show today to talk about your history, your experience in the movie theater, your experience growing up and how it influenced to where you are today, and for creating a social media app that's supposed to bring positivity into the world rather than uh, try to knock everyone down like... Some apps do unintentionally, of course. Those are all the reasons why I think you, Randy Greenberg, have big DK energy.
1: Oh man, thank you. That's that's the whole reason to be on here is to get that. <laughs> so I, I'm appreciative that I'm appreciative you think that. I take that as a badge of honor.
0: Well, I'm glad because um you've totally earned it. So um, with that all being said and done, we're going to put all of Randy's social media links in the description box below, including one to download the app Hypespace. And Randy, before we head out, is there anything you want to say or promote?
1: I think I've done a pretty good job so far, don't you think?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) 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 But I will leave it. So I kind of dropped it in really. Meg 2, The trench comes out August 4th worldwide. So uh, look for that. But uh, Hypespace in the App Store now, H-Y-Y. PE. It's free to download. All
0: right. Thanks Excellent.
1: again, DK. I really appreciate it.
0: Of course, Randy. Well, with that all being said and done, I'm Danny K of the Big DK Energy Podcast, and we are signing off.